Yo, yo, yo. Hello. Hello. Hello, guys, and welcome to the Red Pill 2018. This is episode four, and we have two special guests who Liv is going to introduce to you right now. Yep, so first up, we've got Charlie. Hello, Charlie. Would you like to Hello introduce there. yourself? Uh, yes, yes. Um, I'm Charlie. I'm 29. Uh, I work in PR and I write poetry. Um, Great. So hopefully today talk a little bit about that. Welcome, Charlie. Yes. Welcome. And go for yeah. it, James. I'm James. Uh, James I, English. It is. It's James English. I work in. Um, I work as a political advisor, and uh, I stood in the last election in the constituency of Beaconsfield for the Labour Party, and I currently. Um, vice chair of the party in Beaconsfield too. Brilliant. And thank you very much for having me. Oh my gosh, thank welcome you very much for coming. Yes. So, so um, okay, wait, I'm going to ask the first question. Go on, you go ahead, go ahead. What, how did you <laughs> get into politics and why? That's exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> Great minds. <laughs> um, I got into politics through uh, academia, to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't study politics at school, but then I went to university, I studied history, and I ended up specialising in political history, and through that, I was studying up in Durham at the time, and that's where my family are from, and I ended up basically focusing on Labour Party history, and particularly 20th century British history. And there was, I mean, there was one event, which was the, the miners' strike in the 80s, and that kind of was a big political moment for me in the sense that it wasn't necessarily the strike itself that really politicised me, it was the aftermath of it, because many of my family were impacted by that. And um, it, was a, it was a case of a government at the time pursuing purely an economic agenda and not necessarily thinking about the social impact of that economic policy. Mm. And so it was kind of the remnants of that and the depletion of the industry and the ramifications it had for people. Um, and their lives and their communities that really kind of got me thinking more about those kind of issues and then I mean since then politics always fascinated me and I work closely with it right now as a, as a day job um, and you know just increasingly found myself observing commentating about it with friends you know and and just uh, fell into it that way really. Mm. So I suppose you feel like you became kind of left-leaning because of events from the 1980s? I mean, I think that the, I, I, history, in my view, is, is cyclical, right? So yeah. there will always be turns of events on the left and the right of the political spectrum where things seem to feel like they're history repeating themselves or political ideologies get rehashed just in a different kind of way. Mm. And I think, for me, having studied that quite closely, um, the the mix of having um, an epic and a, a society that is economically um, succeeding or driving forward, but also there's a social conscious in that society, and there is a thought for people and the values that they hold uh, in their lives. That's always been kind of my political thinking, and that tends to work itself out somewhere on the left, and it usually tends to be. Um, in kind of the, I suppose, what many would describe as soft left thinking. And that has always been quite a strong uh, element of the, the, the Labour Party, uh, particularly through institutions like the Fabian Society, for example. So um, I suppose, yeah, you're right in the sense that the 1980s is, is a trigger, but I, I see myself now as a, as a, a figure 
as part of, you know, as millions are uh, on the left of the political spectrum, because I believe it's even more relevant than it ever has been in tackling um, where we want to go as a society in the UK and, um, you know, I suppose as well across Europe too. Mm. So right now, um, in the political um, that conversation, there's sure. a lot happening. Yes. Um, I'm sure that you're talking, as you said, you're talking about your friends all the time. You're probably talking about more now than you ever have spoken about in the past. And what factors, that numerous things, what factors would you say has sparked this political debate at this current moment in time? Um, factors of the S, by the way. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so you want several things. I mean, look. I think one of the one of the key ones is is uh, politics being so much more accessible online. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that you can be engaged with 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 politics so so easily in terms of the amount of information that's available to you, but also the way you express yourself online, be that you know, tweeting or Facebook, or whatever, certainly makes it more accessible. I actually think um, that that has to an extent led to quite a reactionary culture when it comes to some issues because we you tend to find that rather than delving into the rationale behind why decisions are taken sometimes people just either support them or they lambast them and I think there is a middle ground in politics that needs to be found um, but nevertheless being able to debate and being accessible within that debate is, 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 is one. I think secondly issues if you look at the last few years, you've had an election, you've had a Scottish referendum, you've had another general election, you've had you know, a Brexit vote in the European... I think that politics has been in the... I mean, politics is always in the spotlight, but it's been in a spotlight that's shining more brightly than ever for, for, for many people. And I think it's focused their attention on um, what or how society is operating, and people want to say in that more than ever before. I also think that um, there is, a, there is a, a strong sense, particularly on the left, that ideology in a sense that it needs to be prioritised over um, pragmatism, is the way I would put it. So there is an ideological dearth, I would say, right now, with uh, the centre-left, and I think with, to a certain extent the centre-right too. And so as a result, I think people are finding their voice in an increasingly right-wing Conservative Party and an increasingly left-wing Labour Party. And I think that as a result of that, people can identify themselves with, say, the tribes of politics a lot more easier. And as a result, they are able to um, kind of shout from the rooftops about that, and they identify themselves as, you know, I am, particularly in Labour right now, I am Labour because of this. And there is a, there is a real momentum, excuse the pun, <laughs> behind that. Uh, and so I think those are three things I would pick out. And then, of course, there are also things happening across our society that, because of the fact people are more engaged and because they're more in tune with finding some kind of, particularly on the left, I say, you know, ideological purity there, that they effectively are beginning to notice things across our society that need changing. And, you know, that is where <laughs> the fact that our NHS is underfunded, the fact that workers' rights are at risk of, a, uh, of being decimated by this government and the like, people are coming out and they're, they're having a voice on that. Um, in the same way that on the right of the spectrum, you know, you, you probably have right-leaning conservatives who are saying that, you know, the politics of 
new Labour and a Liberal Conservative coalition has not taken the country in the direction that it should have done, and we want to take back true conservatism as a result. So I do think there's that polarising effect going on. So I guess you mentioned that there's a dearth of kind of credible centre candidates, in a way. I think, I think there's a dearth of centre, centrist thinking. thinking, if I'm honest. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's because if you, if, you, if you look at politics over the past 15, 20 years, like, the centre ground has really dominated it. And so I think that inevitably, and that goes back to my point about you know history sometimes being cyclical and political history sometimes being cyclical. I think that what we're seeing now is is a reaction and a response to that. Yeah. And I think with the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn is is providing um, not just a a response to that. He's providing a rationale as to why you should pursue that kind of politics, um, which was precisely what the manifesto was, and it was it was a detailed look at how we can change society and change the priorities that society has right now. Um, and I think on the right, it's, it's, it's the same, but the issue of Brexit is totally um, dividing the Conservatives right now. And if that wasn't there, do I think that the Tories would be lurching right? Yes, because yeah. I don't think that they necessarily um, can hold centre-right ideas down as to what they actually are at the moment. I find it interesting that she, just to take this off that, because um, I have noticed that um, a lot of left-leaning, I won't say left, but more softer-right conservatives uh, have been getting a lot of, um, say, uh, press. Actually, no, I'm not going to say left-leaning, because, so, <laughs> uh, so I'll give like, names, say people like um, Ken Clark, um, Justine Greening, um, who else, uh, Heidi Allen, um, when they um, when they'll call traitors on the newspaper for um, voting against the party, when it came to was it was it against Brexit? Was it Brexit or something? It was yeah. It was about if I'm not mistaken, it was about giving Parliament a meaningful say yeah. on the actual process. Yeah. So looking at that, it kind of makes me feel like um, I'm not hundred percent certain that um, in terms of, I don't because the reason I'm not picking up just that one issue on those people in the party being um, left-leaning. Um, okay, in my opinion, that so since I've been, we've been doing the show, obviously I've been tracking politics a lot more than I used to. Um, but there's one politician in the Conservative Party that I have kind of paid attention to before that for a while, and that was Ken Clark. Mm. And I'm kind of puzzled as to why he's in the Conservative Party, because a lot of his views are very much like... Labour, if you if you get what I mean, very much uh, left, but um, to, and I thought and him and that Hazeltine during the times of Margaret Thatcher and that sort of stuff. For listeners who don't know who that is, um, go and Google and search. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> talk about expand your mind. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to, man. These these are interesting things that people need to know. So I just kind of feel like um, there was that rift in that party is quite is quite strong and I feel like um, people like uh, Ruth Davidson as well, so these people should look up, she's been someone that's kind of been pushing a progressive agenda in that party and I feel like people like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's completely the opposite of what she would be standing for. So. Yeah, it's interesting that they can somehow be in the same party. Yeah, so I think it's interesting how like people do look at um, Labour in terms of being a coalition and like a lot of different um, uh, ideologies within that party, but when you look on the other side, I yeah. don't think it's much different, and to some ways you could say it's kind of worse. 
yeah we, uh, with labor you, you, you think they you feel like they kind of find some kind of middle ground you know in the kind of now social, they are. The social conscious yeah yeah uh, the conservatives is here there everywhere yeah yeah it's that the, i think the consensus is power Mm. <laughs> yeah, power is holding together. Yeah. So, kind of given all of this background, and there's you know a lot of noise in politics at the moment, and a lot of disillusionment, particularly I would say, mm. amongst swathes of people, um, in all sorts of political systems, um, what led you to want to go into politics? Um, well, I think the the number one thing is to represent the interests of of people uh it sounds a very simplistic answer but it, it it is nevertheless yes we have politicians who are talking at length about huge issues for this country but ultimately they are elected by constituents and they are there to represent those constituents as part of a wonderful democratic uh society in the uk which is not perfect but nevertheless um mps are there to be able to represent these interests. And, and that is something that I firmly you know, believe, and that was a, a, a driving force to, to run, um, was to give, or to try and give people a voice or a, an ability to express themselves through, in this instance, you know, voting for a particular political party. And I think that, um, you know, another, another reason is because ultimately you believe in that particular party. And you believe that if that party was to form a government, then this society and the United Kingdom would be a better place. And, you know, I'm always 100% going to fall down on the fact that if we had a Labour government with the priorities and the values that a Labour government has, then I believe that you know, society in the UK would be a better place, a more prosperous place for people, um, both socially and economically, and in a whole host of other ways. So, you know, that is a, that is a massive kind of driving force. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's why I think up and down the country, every single day, people get involved. So did you yourself um, um, grow up in Beaconsfield? Yeah, so me personally, I grew up in Beaconsfield and I lived briefly abroad. So I lived in Cairo for three years. Oh, wow. Uh, that must have been, been interesting. Three years? It was. It was interesting. Yeah, I was over, in, I was over there when I was... Let me get this right. When, like, Are you like a teenager? Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I was like a there. 10... 10, 11, 12, I think it was. Oh, that young? Yeah, so... That must have been a real experience for you in that case. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a... I won't profess it to be a kind of experience where I was, you know, waking up and knowing exactly what was going on all the time. It's a different place it to Cairo is now, isn't it? Totally different and in many ways very shocking. Okay. Very shocking. Okay. Because What shocks you? Well, at that age, you know, you, you were exposed to extreme poverty, mm. um, even though, you know, the, the, I was living with, with my family and the like, but nevertheless, uh, you're exposed to things that you wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have been exposed to, for example, in, yeah. in, in if I'd stayed in, yeah. in Beaconsfield. So yeah. um, that was that was for three years, and then, yeah, in Beaconsfield, and then, as I said, you know, mm -hmm. I've got family up in Durham, so I, I spent a lot of time at university, but also yeah. seeing them, okay. Um, okay. Which, is, which is always very nice. So basically, you're running for your local constituency. Yeah. You're running for... Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's quite a great story. The, the, you know, there's people in that I know, and yeah. there's people in that, in a sense, I know that there's people in that constituency that, um, that, that want to uh, have a voice that is not just, this is a conservative constituency. Mm. 
They want something different. They want to hear. They want to feel something different. And, and, and at the very least, they want. They want to be able to stand up and have a voice in the sense of scrutinising issues and scrutinising decisions that impact their day-to-day -day life. You know, mm -hmm. there are there are hospitals that are closing in that constituency. Mm -hmm. There are um, teachers saying that they cannot, on the current budget, mm -hmm. um, perform their, their job. There are yeah. people who previously could rely on short-stop centres mm -hmm. that now can't. And as a result of that, regardless of whether the constituency is conservative or not, mm -hmm. we, we, we need, uh, across every constituency in the country, to have an effective opposition to be able to scrutinise those issues mm -hmm. and represent the people who say, actually, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that, or I would quite like to do it differently, and mm -hmm. here's how. Um, you know, so, so for that to be in my home constituency, obviously, right, was, a, was a driver, yeah. So um, you must be doing a lot of those kind of conversations now, uh, in, the, in like uh, being a... Yeah, I, I mean the, 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 the constituency party is 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 growing, which is great, and more people mm -hmm. are getting involved. Um, how was canvassing like um, for you this? Uh... Yeah, canvassing canvassing was mainly a big, long, lonely walk for much of it. Like you know, wow. you kind of you kind of out with a lot of leaflets. Yeah, and I had this. I have my bag that I actually have now, like sure. it's, it's kind of weighed down. So, so you, just didn't, kind of, you didn't have people from other I, constituencies coming over to help. I had, I had that. I mean, obviously, I had um, people who were helping within the constituency, um, but you know, it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't a kind of you know, target seat. The way these things work, yeah. right? So yeah, you know, course, the, the, obviously, course. because of the majority. Yeah. So when I say big, long, lonely walk, I mean you know, kind of the way that I. Approached the campaign with my team, mm -hmm. uh, and then we set a strategy. Was we, we wanted to talk to as many people as possible. Mm. I find that disappointing. Uh, the reason why I find it disappointing because okay, myself over um, I canvassed over the what do you call it um, the election, and that was in Croydon Central. Um, it was there were so many people, yeah. so many people, and it was a target seat, as you know. Yeah. Um, and I know that over the election itself, there were seats that probably weren't target seats, like. Um, Canterbury and sure. Kensington, and they turned over sides. So to hear that um, Beaconsfield, that didn't happen is quite disappointing. Well, I think I think like what I would say is that um, there were a lot of people who who helped out within the campaign. But from a numbers perspective, mm -hmm. in terms of covering the constituency, um, it's not like there were like kind of fifty people out like there would be in other constituencies. And I think that's just because. Of the inertia of what yeah. had happened in previous elections, but there were a lot of like you know really really within the team. There were so many dedicated people who mm. went out and I did the long lonely walk themselves. You yeah, know? But, yeah. but basically, when you've got houses where you want to talk to as many voters as possible, mm -hmm. you you know you you spend half your day um, talking to people mm. and trying to not get your little finger bitten off by a dog. Oh, yeah, of course, when yeah, you, yeah. Like, when you put the little <laughs> so like. You know that's yeah. um that's a big part of that's a big part of this, and you know with a, with a constituency like Beaconsfield, um, you you you're not in the majority. Uh, but yeah. but the, the the point I would make is that, um, you know that ne next time round, mm. rather than there be twenty involved, mm. I want forty involved, yeah. and then after that, I want eighty. But you know it's, it's never going to change over overnight. So, but, are you still knocking on doors till this day? Well, so I mean, I helped my my election agent was um, amazing throughout and I, I, I subsequently went back to she was running for a, a local local um, 
council's position and went back and we, we canvassed there. And we're also campaigning on a number of issues. Uh, there's been children's centre closures in the constituency, so mm. the, there's other constituencies, of course, that are involved. Um, we're trying to get more regular meetings with members and the like so that we can actually um, get out and about a little bit more. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a work, I suppose it's a work in progress there, and that's yeah. certainly not just me. There's a whole, a whole host of people involved in that very actively. Do you feel like there's a chance of there being a step election anytime soon? Um, personally, yeah, no, okay, <laughs> and that's because I don't think as a country we can we can get a Brexit deal by March 2019. We can't deal with any more decision yeah. making yeah. ever. Yeah. Please yeah. stop. Yeah, <laughs> for, for now. There have been polls recently showing that people are avoiding the news now, and I mm. put my hand to say that I. If, Political, I'm, I'm political avoiding news, the news too. By the way. News. I'm, right now, I'm avoiding all news. It's, it's because it's just too much of a tax, like you know, on you know Brexit, everything else. It's mm -hmm. like you get, you know, it's like you know, you get fatigued, don't you? And yeah. you need a fucking break. I mean, I feel know, like things are going better. James doing stuff in his, in his <laughs> yeah. and it's real for him and it's there. But yeah. for, the, for the rest of us, you know, while it's born to be engaged on some level, it's just a, it's just the Brexit comment. I think it's most of the Brexit commentary, which really is, mm. yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. it, it, then I love that. Yeah, like the the way the way the the negotiations will, in my view, work out is that you know the, the most that, that we're going to get out of Brussels at this stage is some kind of very vague framework agreement mm -hmm. that basically paves the way for a future agreement and some mm -hmm. kind of transition arrangement. And I think in order to do that, it's going to take every ounce of effort from the civil service and from politicians to be able to to get that through both um, with negotiators in Brussels. Get it ratified by the UK Parliament. It's got to be ratified by the European Parliament, and I just, I just cannot see between now and March like there being. It, it, I'm not sure it would be really in the in the interests of the country to have another election before mm. that is finalised. Mm. Um, although you know, if you were advocating a second referendum, then you would, you know, that's maybe an argument you could use, and you could say, well, actually, we need a general election to be able to know which party we're voting for, because obviously the Lib Dems are opposed mm -hmm. to, to actually following through with Brexit. Mm -hmm. So if they were to win, then I suppose that would change the course there, if there was a general election before yeah. March 2019. I just, I think it's all, it's all a bit too tight to be able to be doing that. Um, I want to go back to what you were saying about canvassing and it being like quite a lonely job with, you know, on the whole, like lots of difficult aspects to, to what you do. Who do you admire, whether it's in UK or, or globally, whether it's in politics or not, who, who do you kind of hold up in your mind when you're doing this kind of work and think, like, you know, that, that's where I get my inspiration from, for instance? Sure. Um, I, I think, like, for me, um, it, it's very difficult to put it on one person. I think the inspiration is is partly, as I said, you know, the personal drive of of you know family experience, for example, um, but also just it's a it's a the canvassing question. It's just a it was an absolute privilege from start to finish to be out canvassing for the party that I that I believe in, and every single politician, regardless of their political party, will have will have done many an hour putting leaflets through doors and doing everything that comes with it. So, you know, I didn't necessarily yeah, need Yeah, I don't mean specifically that that job in itself, but I mean kind of in the wider scheme of 
of why you're in, interested yeah. in going so into politics. I knocked like, on that door because Gandhi was giving me <laughs> inspiration. But, but I'm interested in who, who you draw inspiration from. Sure. Um, I would say that I draw inspiration from... Um, I draw inspiration from the current leadership in the sense that I think they've revitalised the Labour movement um, and they have brought people on who previously would never have been brought on. Mm. And, you know, I grew up at a time as well where my association and understanding of the Labour Party was defined by, um, you know, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and everything that came with that, which obviously has, um, right now, you know, a lot of, a lot of criticism attached to it, but nevertheless, as somebody who was really getting into politics at the time where we had the, the end of New Labour and, 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 and the start of what was the coalition arrangement, you know, I think, I think there are many politicians from that era who were inspirational in the sense that they had a lot of guys and a lot of girls to be able to, to, to win for the Labour Party. And I think that they also recognised that, um, you know, in order to uh, win in the future, the Labour Party needs to get out and do the canvassing and the door knocking, and it needs to do it in places and with people who aren't already Labour Party folk and aren't already in thinking with the Labour Party and rather are a little bit maybe on the fence or maybe maybe didn't vote Labour before. So and to answer your question, that is quite an inspiration for me because I think that that drives you to go and put yourself out there and have a discussion and a debate. Mm. And at the end of the day, have a discussion and a debate with people that you may not. I think, I think that's an interesting point on things because what I kind of took from that myself was that, um, like, so there was a Labour government for a certain amount of years, yeah? Um, uh, people usually do vote for Labour governments when they feel like social issues are uh, being neglected and they want to, you know, they want to try and build things up from the ground up to be a bit more affluent. When things get a bit more affluent, um, actually, it's sometimes the other way around. When things get affluent, people start voting for Labour because they want to deal with social issues. But in essence, people felt like they wanted to vote for, people swung over to the Conservatives at that moment in time because they didn't feel like what Labour had to offer was that important to them. So it's kind of interesting that the Labour Party had to, got to a point where they felt like they had to appeal to different issues to, in order to win an election. And what those issues are, I couldn't say. I don't know what they are, but I just find that interesting as something else to look into. Sure. Um, do you guys have any opinions on what you think those issues are at all? Or no? In terms of, what, what do you mean? In terms of what now people, or previously? Uh, previously and now. So what has changed? Um, no, I, I think I think what's what's changed really is um, is that I believe that the I think the values of the party remain the same. Mm. I just think that what's changed is the way in which the party is currently approaching, or rather mm. dealing with yeah. implementing those. And I think what yeah. we're seeing now in terms of the politics of the party mm. is that it is left of where the party was when it was last in government. Yeah. Um, and when I say left, you know, I mean a greater role, it is at a basic level, you know, a greater role for, um, for the state um, and possibly not, not, 
you know, the, the, the last Labour government was actually on social issues. Mm. You know, it it did, did a huge amount to help mm -hmm. a lot of people mm -hmm. from a social perspective. And That's so... The GMA, um, it's called um, Free Travel kind of stuff when I was in school and, and people you know, and, and, and people's rights and people yeah. and the way in which people live their lives and you know things like the minimum wage and and, and a hell of a lot to be able to to advance people's lives in that sense mm. um, and I think that now you know many of those things have been achieved um, through through progress and through time and so you know the, what the what the current approach is for the Labour Party is to address um, burning inequalities in our society but I think the way in which it was presented and is presented right now by the party mm -hmm. is, um, is, to, is to, in order to address those priorities we've got to be quite radically different in the way we approach these mm -hmm. um, which is why we saw the manifesto that we did I suppose. So, so you as, okay, what about you as a person? So like, I found it quite interesting that um, okay, things have changed in terms of how like, political parties are trying to approach people so there was, um, what do you call it, um, the um, conservative Glastonbury and you had, what's his name? <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. That was yeah. so funny. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, Jeremy Corbyn on stage in Glastonbury. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you uh, get involved in that young things? What kind of music are you into yourself? I, I mean, you, we, we played in a band together for two and, two and a half years. Oh, wow. Ah. Okay, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, so <laughs> give me a back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what? I mean, that is a, a long question. What did you play in the band? I was I was a singer, and and Charlie. Well, you guys yeah, know that Charlie plays the drums exceptionally well, right? Well, I play drums. Yes. Play drums, okay. Yeah. Okay, but, but um, the band was actually already formed yeah. as in I. So I, I originally played in a band at uni with the guitarist. Mm. Um, then I went to go and live in Asia, Southeast Asia, for a couple of years. Oh wow. Uh, Where about Southeast Asia? Indonesia. Indonesia, okay. Yeah. Okay, 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 cool. Yeah, which was awesome. Okay, cool. It was really lovely. But yeah, I mean, it was lovely, but and I, I had an Indonesian band going for a little while. Whoa! So that's dedication. In answer yeah. to your question, that's what I'm into Indonesian uh, rock. Yeah. Yeah. Indonesian rock, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's, how, that's how I attracted James to the, to the band. No, but I, I, I got back and found that. Um, yeah, a, a band had already been formed by my former former guitarist, and we had a, a pretty horrendous singer in place. So I kind of I was obviously new back to the band, so I was like, you know, it's mm. really cool to be playing together and stuff, but like this thing is not really you know, <laughs> not really getting it done. So maybe we want to look at that in a few months or something. But it was still you know early stages. Yeah. Then the band got you know was moving on, was playing some good stuff, and then um, we started. I started kind of secretly, you know, cloak and dagger, like looking for a vocalist online, uh... and then came across some of James's. Demos and he had a kind of uh, what's the guy from Arctic Monkeys called Alex Turner. Alex Turner. He had a kind of like okay. a, something that and but a really like soulful kind of thing as well. Wow. Bit, nice. Yeah. So big, wow. Bit, bit, bit of gravel there. So uh, yeah. Can we? You know, I was going to find any of your stuff, but uh, yeah. Well, the well, the band is you got, you, no no longer, no, but you still no can. Longer, okay. There's yeah. We've still got very heavy uh, online following. But you got to look very, <laughs> very, 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 very heavy. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, I, I think that leads us quite nicely onto part two of mm -hmm. um, our show this week, which is Charlie. 
Yeah. You've brought some poetry for us. I have. I felt like the, the, the intro was like, I'm Charlie and I write poetry. It was like fucking Alcoholics Anonymous. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or that, I, or that, yeah, that, I mean, does anyone, shame, do you know anyone else who writes no, poetry? I get ripped the piss all the time. No. Not, no, no, it's, it's, it's yeah, gentle. It's, it's gentle ribbing. But it yeah. is still taboo. I think it's still like And saying, as a poet, you really take it to heart. Well, obviously, I'm very emotional. I'm trying for my velvet pillowcases and shit. But, um, <laughs> no, but it's like saying, it's like coming and saying, I've got web feet or something. Yeah. People are like, oh, okay. And then I've got mates and they go, so well, why, why do you do that? And I'm just like... <laughs> You didn't need something about your web feet, though. Oh, <laughs> no, no. So how did you get into it? Well, I think I've always, always liked writing. I literally, as a kid, I like writing stories. And then uh, I think people get into poetry in different ways. I mean, sometimes, like, you know, families, mothers, fathers, grandmas, they have poetry. They, they, they read or talk about whatever. For me, like, it was kind of, you know, GCSEs. And we had people like, you know, poets like Philip Larkin. Um, who did you do any Wilfred Owen? Did a bit of Wilfred. Yeah, the war poets, yeah. Yeah. All that. Nice. But I liked Larkin because he just talks about the everyday, the kind of mundane that is actually the quite special stuff if you, you know, when you kind of remove everything else from it. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of appealed. So I just started doing that. And then I think, I think coming back from Indonesia, two, two years kind of removed, I was coming back and I was, I felt, did feel a little bit removed coming back. Um, you know, like coming back to London, like people were just, it was kind of like, I just left and come back two years later. And so, yeah, I think it was kind of trying to make sense of being back in the UK again. Um, in the sense of like culture shock? Or? I think so, yeah. Because you just felt like a bit of a tourist. Like I would literally come back and feel like a bit of a tourist walking around. It was kind of very weird, like visiting home. Wow. Yeah. But I did, I have to say, I did, I did like, I felt like it'd fall quite hard for Indonesia. Like I really, mm. I was writing about politics out there. Mm. Um, learned the language, was kind of had a girlfriend out there and stuff. So I, yeah. it was kind of, I fully like committed to it. You had a life it. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You still, you still have a life there, so if you want to go back... Yeah, I've still got friends there, yeah. go, like, been back for the old wedding and stuff, and it's, oh, it's yeah. awesome. So, yeah. But, um, yeah. So you started writing poetry when you came back? Yeah, yeah. like properly. I think I feel like I dabbled with it in my like teens and earlier 20s. When I got back, I just started like... I had like a travel blog I kept when I was out there, and then I came back and all I really... And I, and did, you, did you use any of that poetry for like, the songs in the... Uh, I didn't, but I did, I did, um, we've got another guitarist who's also a good singer and he mm. does a lot of open mic stuff by himself, like he's okay. just really passionate about it and he, I wrote a couple up on the blog and he saw them and was like, can I borrow these and write songs with them and just perform them, and so he's really cool, he just sent me like videos Amazing. of him at an open mic just singing a song I wrote about, you know, whatever, which is really weird but quite, <laughs> quite nice, anyway. And so have you performed <laughs> any of your stuff yourself? I haven't, this is like a global... Exclusive. Exclusive, yeah. 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 Um, okay, that's what we do here at Red Pill. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusives only. Yeah. Every time is the first time. Of course, of course. <laughs> so, um, so what are you going to tell yeah. us? So today? yeah, well, I thought um, I do like writing about the kind of the the ordinary. So yeah, I've got a couple. One of which I wrote while just walking around the park at home, and then one of which I kind of wrote on a recent um, trip to Portugal. So I'll I'll start with I'll start with those, but they're pretty short. You know, they're not. It's not like a forty-page ode to something. Right? No, that's cool. Get comfortable. Get yeah. comfortable. Okay, here we go. So this is a poem called "Scene." What kind of scene? Um, S C E N E. Yeah. Like take a mental picture. Scene. Okay. The perfect reduction of people and place purpose pressed into a cup I can't put down. 
beings, like book covers, pockmarked and gnarled, yet coursing with blood. Mr. Bones, on the move, with a smaller model, he'll teach everything he knows. Running away from the supine, we fear for the good. Let's package this up and stand guard. So. Great. That was lovely. That was seen. But yeah, I mean. So what was the inspiration for that? The inspiration was just like sitting down in the park and just watching people operate. So just like kids, families, people, friends. So in this sense, Mr. Bones is just is a father and the younger model is his son. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, that, that intimacy there. You see this day-to-day -day stuff, which I don't think you always see. You just kind of breeze past it. You're on your iPhone, whatever. Mm. But if you actually sit down mm. and observe it, then it's quite... Did you actually write this while sitting down in the park? Uh, I write, yeah. I'm, I'm often kind of just make mental notes. Okay. And then come back to it later and write mm. it. Mm. But it's usually like a super easy process. I just kind of write it, wordsmith it, mm. wordsmith it more than whack on the blog. But I mean... When I do, I don't expect kind of engagement or mm. kudos or whatever. I just whack yeah. on my Instagram and be like, links in the bio, mm. blah, go for it. And how's it been has it so far? Has yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, only recently I started adding like the hashtags, like yeah. parts of Instagram, that kind of shit. I'm not <laughs> a, hashtag web feet. Yeah, <laughs> hashtag web feet. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, you know, I've got a bit more love from some kind of like other flowery, like other, other poetry Instagram community, which I didn't know about. So that's quite, it's nice to like at least see what else is out there. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's talk of like kind of poetry having its moment right now with the, like the kind of spoken word. Yeah. Um, We're all about the spoken word here. Yeah, and you, you guys do events of some sort you're involved yeah. in? Dan, yeah, yeah so Dan, Dan is, uh, he's actually, he's got Dan an event called Speakeasy. Yeah. yeah. Um, they got an event coming very soon. 26. Uh, no, 28th of Feb. Yeah, 28th of Feb. So please North have that. London. Yeah, North London. Yeah, North London. Details. So if you don't know the details, uh, if you're listening and you want to know the details, go on Google, type in Speak Easy um, Spoken Word. And go on our Facebook page and like us. And we'll yeah, they're, like, they're videos yeah, and stuff that you can see because I just don't even... I kind of know about Spoken Word and it's slightly more... Yeah, there are, there are videos. There yeah, are videos, yeah. There's lots of videos. videos. And there will be videos on that event too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, it will be something that um, he'll be running on a regular basis and it will be great to have you guys there as well. Everyone's welcome. Yeah, everyone's mm -hmm. welcome. Great to see you there. Um, so yeah. you've got another one for us, right? I do. As, as one, right. I, saw, as one I can got, see in your piece of paper that looks time. really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, you spotted yeah. that one. Can I ask yeah. you? Yeah, please, Jim. You know in your writing, do yeah. you... Do you have like, uh, do you go through say like notebooks? Do you have notebooks on the go or you, mm. when you're actually sitting down to write, is it more of a kind of almost like on your phone or is it, would you have yeah. a dedicated journal or whatever? Uh, I write a journal. I started recently writing a journal because I'm, it's like a, a book I'm reading is about trying to get your, your kind of creative thoughts moving and the, one of the, the kind of commitments you make to it is to write three pages in the morning of just consciousness of thought. Okay. So I started doing that every day. Yeah. But with the poetry, it's literally just like, it comes to me and to write it. And it's, it's a, bit like a very natural thing. I think people think that has to, you have to know, there's, if there's like rhyming mechanisms or stuff that you have to know to do it, they're kind of intimidated by it. But I think I often write with no, no punctuation or whatever, no rhyme, just fucking spank So it down. you don't really yeah. suffer from writer's block or anything like that? Uh, not so much. I mean, there's, there's periods that are longer, you know, that are in between poems that are long but don't worry about that it's just kind of you just you know 
but, but what, what I would say also is that writing kind of action begets more action. So just by picking yeah. up a pen and scribbling, you will have more ideas and you will, write, you will write more. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, I've got another one, which is again about the ordinary. I was just um, in, uh, in Portugal, first week of January, and I was talking, to, I was in a, staying at like a surf postal place and just talking to the housekeeper there about, you know, um, the moon and solstice and the longest day, the shortest day, and, and this poem kind of, and then went on like a long walk in this poem kind of, um, just was just an observation of, of, of being there basically. So, so here we go again. Um, this one is called Past Solstice. Birds fly like kites with no strings attached. The sun licks and leaves freckles on the wannabe flyers below. Way past solstice, we're gloveless this January, scaling sandstone hills that granulate underfoot. And now we percolate alongside other souls that huddle like penguins in a plastic yellow house. A foot bounce among friends, a rattle of cheap china, a smoke in the wind, a piss in the wind. We'll sit here until the all-star changeover and we'll return to do it all again. That, that was kind of eerie because it's kind of, it's, it's kind of happy at the same time. Yeah, it is. It's, that, yeah. I mean, that... Yeah, for me that is it was just that was me sitting in a cafe on a beach and just watching people mm. like it was this really kind of desolate landscape, nothing there. Mm -hmm. And there's a little cafe. Mm -hmm. and it's a simple thing. It's just, you know, it's family people together and stuff in, you know, in that kind of scene. And that's where you yeah, you see that intimacy, I guess, which you don't see when you're mm. rushing down the street or whatever. <laughs> so, that's what I've tried to cultivate a little bit with that anyway. But are all of you would you say all your work is like kind of observational in the sense like, you know, sitting in a cafe observing and then I suppose reflecting emotions mm. through observing other people's behaviour in a sense like or, or yeah, do yeah. you ever sit like kind of at your desk looking at a wall and something yeah. comes to you and you're but it's not just it's not just scenes like topics also promote um, kind of creative and, and poetry and writing so um, the kind of the, the me too stuff that has been kind of an ongoing discussion or you know it's been building the last two years and then the wine the wine scene had stuff happening and whatever so for me I you know um, my father passed away when I was younger grew up with two older sisters and a mother and the rest of it and then so I you know happened to have great insight into kind of how great women are and all the rest of it and so when I got a bit older and kind of witnessed became an adult basically and witnessed kind of entitlement from a male point of view kind of people you know grabbing girls in clubs that kind of stuff that made me you know angry essentially so I know maybe angry at the time and then this kind of stuff happened and then that just kind of built up so emotionally that kind of affected me I'd say and then yeah so I've written about you know stuff like that as well hmm. do you think we have a masculinity crisis on our hands um I mean in a simple word yes um there's a guy online I can't remember what his name is he used to be an actor but he just he's been kind of uh, on Instagram talking a lot about kind of vulnerability as a strength mm. and uh, among men particularly and you know when you actually are vulnerable 
it's such a fucking it for, as a bloke. It's a very alien feeling. Mm-hmm. What is what is a masculinity crisis? Uh, I mean, maybe we, it's... we've talked about it before. I know, but the reason why I'm saying that because I kind of feel like um, definition like changes a lot. Yeah, that is a true. Yeah, yeah so. That, I mean, I don't really know. I just I feel like that. Uh, in, at least in this country, mm-hmm. men need to get better at expressing themselves. And the masculinity crisis is having this kind of this bravado that it doesn't work anymore. Mm. You know, it doesn't work for people. Mm. Um, you know, and it, it it has consequences. You know, people not talking, all the rest of it. Um, and so I think if there's more men who are kind of you know being creative, expressing themselves. So this is a pent-up country. You know, the more creative outlets we we have, whether it's poetry or politics you, or yeah. whatever. But do you think we've explored as to why it was like that in the first place? Well, I think it's kind of it's kind of uh, in our in our kind of heritage and our genes. You know, there's, there's, that's there's, interesting. That is interesting, though, because yeah. that's part of the construct of the problem with masculinity, isn't it? Possibly. But it's it, but saying it, that, oh, it's ingrained, like we're it, allowed to be yeah, that way because that's who we are. But actually, you tripped it right up. That was it's, so but mean, James. It's, it's what we think we are. But actually, you know, women have been taking care of men for, for centuries. So it's, but it's, yeah. I don't know. This is, this is a conversation I've been having a lot lately. That's yeah. why I, I know am. I'm like, I, 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 I find it interesting because I don't think people really delve into why we think that in the first place. And I think that there are no. reasons as to why it makes sense and there's reasons as to why yeah, it doesn't make sense. And that's why I say in terms too. of a crisis of masculinity, that's why I ask the question, what is it? Because we don't, like, we haven't even discovered why we got here. Mm. And I think part of the reason, part of the crisis of masculinity goes hand in hand with a crisis in femininity. Is, is it, well, not crisis, but just a rise or whatever, um, what it is, and they go hand in hand together. I don't think there's one without the other. Mm. And I kind of feel like that's something that people don't explore at this moment in time. And I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I'm glad we kind of got into this topic, mm. even though we've reached 45 minutes. I, know, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think we should let Charlie um, say a, like a closing thing. What would you say a, to any... A closing um, thing. A closing thing. About, what would you say um, to any aspiring poets out there? Obviously, you get a bit of stick now and again. What would you encourage Great. them in? Um... I mean, I'd just say, just like you know, don't fucking force yourself to go and write a poem. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be really quite shit, I'd imagine. No, but no. Speaking more seriously, it's just about uh, if you feel something and if you feel the urge to write it down, don't be afraid to mm. just just do it. It's like it's it's fine. It's mm. it's normal. It's natural. And where can we find your poetry? Uh, I've got a WordPress, okay. uh, so it's on there. Is, it, is WordPress like an old school thing? Is, is, that, is, <laughs> no. that, is it like, like, like Bebo or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. WordPress is cool, but it's... the thing about WordPress is now you have to buy your own domain name now. So buy your own name and don't have it say WordPress in there. That's just another that that's true. Yeah, so, so mine is, uh, <laughs> yeah. mine is, mine is, is one word, Calbinder, so C-A-L-B-I-N-D-E-R. Okay. WordPress. Yeah, so just type in yeah. Calbinder. Well, okay, we'll share it yeah. on our Facebook page. Yeah, so have a look at that. Yep, so have a listen and read. So you don't already listening. Read this poem. Thank you to our wonderful guests for joining thank us you guys this week. Thank, thank you very, very much, James. Blast. Thank you much, Charlie. It was great. Thank you, guys. And thank uh, thanks for visiting the Red Pill. Uh, this is episode four, four of 2018. See uh, you later. Tune in later.